chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Just looking really at one little verse today. Last week we had discussed the previous verses and we had talked about a question that James and John had asked Jesus. And they had asked Jesus if they could sit at his right and his left hand. And what they were really asking for, it would appear, is that they were asking for power. They knew that Jesus was the Messiah. They obviously trusted that he would one day rule, and they wanted to be able to sit at Jesus's right and left-hand side. Now, that language we see in Scripture is, uh, is, is language that's used to signify power. The one who is at the right hand of the king has the power and the authority of the king. We see some examples of second in charge, as we talked about last week, like Joseph in Egypt. He was the second under Pharaoh, and being the second in command or being the king or the Pharaoh's right-hand man essentially meant that you had all of the power of the king. And so what we saw in the verses before is that it appears that maybe that's what James and John were asking, because in Jesus' response to them, Jesus said, look, don't be like the Gentiles. He said the Gentile leaders, that is the Gentile people who have power, they lord their power over their people. They try to dominate them. They are strict on their people. Uh, but Jesus said, it must not be like that among you. Now, when he speaks of Gentiles there uh, and he speaks to his disciples, I think he's making contrast. That is, those who are God's people and those who are not God's people. Those who are worldly people that are not God's people uh, will live for power and they will use that power for themselves in a selfish way. They will uh, use it to rule over others. But Jesus said to his disciples, it must not be that way among you. That is all of his followers, not just them, but you and I. It must not be that way among us. We are not to rule with our power, but we are to serve with our power. Jesus gives us a power to serve. And so he's telling his disciples and you and I that we need to be careful what we are asking for, uh, because sometimes we may be like James and John, and we may be seeking some position of power because we think it will be well for us. Now to clarify and to specify again, having power does not make you evil. There are lots of good Christian men and women who have power. We're not evil because we seek power. Uh, and, and we talked last week about the fact that power corrupts. But, but typically, people who are really seeking power are often already corrupt. If they want that kind of power that they can rule and they can be in charge and they can make the shots, well, oftentimes people with that type of desire are corrupted anyway. And so the power doesn't necessarily corrupt them, it corrupts them more. Now that's not to say that even good people in positions of power may not be tempted to misuse that power. And even men and women of, uh, of God must be careful when we have power that we don't misuse that power. That is a temptation, no doubt, that the devil will use. He will try to get us to use our power for ourselves and to desire more power. Uh, that's often what we see with people who really desire power. What do people who have power want? They want more power. It's not about uh, money. It's about power. That's what we see in our world today. There are many billionaires out there, and there's only so much money that you can need, uh, that you can use. Uh, we have 
see people that have so much money that their families uh, won't have to worry and their children's grandchildren and grandchildren and great-grandchildren won't have to worry. There's only so much money a person can use and so after someone attains enough money, oftentimes power is the next thing, that position of power. And Jesus says for those who are his to be careful that we don't fall into those traps that we don't fall into the danger of following the wrong example. That is the example of the world that says, get all the power you can and use it for yourself. But Jesus tells his disciples and us, don't follow that example, but follow Jesus's example to get all the power you can through Jesus Christ and use it to serve others. Now that's a quick recap of what we talked about in the verses before, but this morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. We'll probably read verse 44, just a little bit of context. So let's pray, and then we will jump in. Father God, we come to you, and I thank you for these words. These are good words. These are good instructions. God, this passage and these verses today and last week are some of the most significant passages I think we'll ever read in your word. And God, I pray that we would grow from them, that we would learn from them, that you would uh, guide us, dear Lord, that we would... Uh, just be servants, God, that we would not fall into the trap and the temptation of wealth and power, but that we would uh, follow the example of Jesus that we would serve, that we would love like Jesus loved, and that we would serve like Jesus served. And God, I pray that you'd hide me behind the cross and just let your spirit speak as I preach this word. And I pray that we would grow in it. In Jesus' name, I ask it. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 10, verses 44 and 45. And whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, we held out last week on verse 45 because I feel like there's a lot of good things that we probably need to unpack a little more and, and look at in more detail. But Jesus is telling his disciples an important lesson that we who follow him are not to seek to be first, but rather to put him first and to serve others. If we want to be first, we are to be a servant to all, Jesus said. And then in verse 45, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Now, when Jesus says, for even there, I believe what Jesus is saying, of all the people that have ever walked this earth, if there was ever a person who was worthy to be served, who was worthy to sit on the throne, who was worthy to be worshipped, who was worthy to be praised, it was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ didn't have to lift his finger for anything had he chosen not to. Jesus was God. He was the thing... Uh, the creator of all things, and all things were created through him, for him, by him. And so Jesus Christ could have simply have chosen to have sat on the throne and be worshipped and to be praised and to be served. And he's the only person ever who is worthy of that. He's the only person who could have done that and would have been right in doing that because he is the Lord the amazing, the powerful, the almighty God. He is worthy of our praise. But Jesus says, even though I am the Son of God, even though, even though, he says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served. 
Even though I'm God, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve. And this is the example that Jesus is calling his disciples to live by, and this is the example that Jesus is calling us to live by. Now, we see a, a, a good mention of this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, which read, Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. So, Philippians is kind of echoing the very same thoughts that Jesus is speaking here in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Paul points out that same point. He said, look, Jesus humbled himself. He came and he took the likeness of men. Even though he was God, he did not use his power for his own good, but instead he humbled himself and he used his power to serve you and I, to serve the whole world, to give his life as a ransom for many, so that all who would come to him would be forgiven if they put their trust in him. Now, as we continue on in this passage, it says that Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many. Now, this language may make us scratch our heads. Well, what are we to make about this? It may bring questions into our mind. And you say, well, well, what do you mean? Well, at first glance, when we read this passage, it's pretty simple and it's pretty easy for us to understand. But if we study a little deeper, there may be questions that arise and maybe some have arisen in your mind over this passage. But when we see the word ransom, it's important for us to pause and spend a little time, I believe, talking about this ransom that Jesus uh, was for us, that he gave his life for us. Because when we hear the word ransom, uh, we may think about movies or think about stories we hear on the news. And this is what a ransom situation typically looks like in our lives. Uh, there will be someone who will be kidnapped, let's say. Now, there is a kidnapper who kidnaps someone and demands that a price be paid for the kidnapped person to be, uh, to, to be uh, let go, to be released. And so there is someone somewhere who has some wealth of some sort, and whatever the kidnapper wants, uh, this person pays the kidnapper their price, and as a result, the person who pays the kidnapper will receive their property back. So if someone has stolen a child, uh, the parent pays the kidnapper the ransom and the kidnapper uh, releases the child back to the parents. Now that's typically what we see in a ransom type situation. We see it in movies and that may be what comes to mind when we think about the term ransom. But how does that apply to Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and what he did? What are we to make of the fact that Jesus gave his life as a ransom. Does Jesus's ransom compare to what we see in movies and TV shows and books that we read and things like that? Now, some have suggested that this ransom that Jesus's life was, was paid to Satan. That is that Satan uh, controls us because of our sinfulness. Uh, Satan has taken us from God in our sin. And therefore, for God to get us back from Satan, for Satan to release us, a ransom had to be paid. And some have suggested 
that the ransom that was paid, that we see here in Mark chapter 10, verse 45 of Jesus Christ, that that ransom was paid from God to Satan. Now, I'll say this morning, I don't believe that that is the case. I don't believe that that is what the Bible teaches, and that's what we will talk about this morning. I believe that that, that, that mindset that God paid Satan a ransom is a, is a flawed idea, and I'll tell you why I believe that's a flawed idea. Now, when we see our worldly ransom situations, and you see that the person wanting their property back pays the kidnapper, well, in that situation, both parties win, so to speak. That is, the kidnapper receives their reward, their money, their wealth, whatever it is they want. And the person who was kidnapped from receives their property back. And in those type of situations, you could say that both parties have won. That, well, the person who was who was paying the, the, the fee to get their, their property back, well, they probably had a lot of wealth, right? That's what we see in our ransom situations in the world. It's the wealthy who are stolen from. So even if somebody has to pay a million dollars to get their child back or their property back, whatever it may be, it doesn't matter. They got the money to spare. They'll gladly pay it. They'll get their property back. The kidnapper will get their, their, their money, and everybody will be happy. Uh, that is a situation where we can say, I think, that both parties win in that situation. But I do not believe that that is what took place when Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many. Because I do not believe that Satan has ever won or will ever win or could have in any way, shape, or form have won. Now, when we look at ransom in our worldly our worldly lens, we may see this, this scenario playing out where God is negotiating with Satan for us. He's trying to figure out how to get us back. But there is a problem with that situation because if God is negotiating with Satan, then that would mean that Satan is somehow more powerful than God. That would mean that Satan has the upper hand. And if God doesn't doesn't give in to the demands of Satan, Satan holds the power. Now, that is clearly not true. That is clearly not the case. There is no situation in which Satan would ever win. There is no situation in which Satan would have or could have or will ever defeat God. Even if Jesus Christ had not given his life as a ransom for the many, Satan would still not have been able to defeat God. Satan is not more powerful than God. Now, we need to, to kind of think about that as we, as we look at this situation. The ransom was not paid to Satan because that would imply that Satan had some power over God. Satan was always going to lose. Regardless of whether Jesus Christ died on the cross as a ransom for many, Satan was always going to lose. It was not ever going to be a situation where Satan could win and where God could win. There was only always going to be one winner, and there will only always be one winner. And that one winner 
is God and God alone. He is almighty. He is all-powerful. He is in control. And Satan has never had the upper hand on God. And so when we see this language here about a ransom, we can quickly see, I believe, just, 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 just from a quick discussion of this and, and thinking about this, that God negotiating with Satan was never going to be an option. I am reminded of former President George Bush uh, when he was speaking of terrorists, and his famous line is, we don't negotiate with terrorists. Oh, well, I believe that's kind of what happened with God and Satan. God had no reason to negotiate with Satan because he was over Satan. But God did pay this ransom through Jesus Christ. So what was this ransom for? Well, the ransom was for you and I. That part of this, this, this idea that a ransom has to be paid is true. We see that in Scripture. But the ransom was not to satisfy the devil. The ransom is that so you and I could be restored. Now, a ransom had to be paid, but who was the ransom paid to? Well, the ransom that God paid was not paid to Satan, but the ransom that God paid was paid to God. Now, that may sound crazy, right? When we hear that idea, when we think about that, think, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. Why was the ransom paid to God? How in the world was the ransom paid to God? Well, one thing that we have to realize to understand this one is that nothing in this world is free. There is not a single thing that is free. Anything that you receive freely, it costs somebody something. Now, you can think of any scenario you want to, and you can never come up with a scenario in which one person gets something for free that it did not cost someone something else. Now, that's the first thing we need to remember. We need to remember that because... When we speak of God, we must remember that God is a just God. Now, this is important because oftentimes the question may be asked to us, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Why was that important? Why couldn't God have just been gracious to everybody? Well, the answer to that question is, is that God's grace comes at a price. God's grace comes at the price of Jesus Christ on the cross. Our salvation is free, but it's because Jesus paid the ransom. And so when we say, well, why did Jesus even have to die? Why couldn't God have just given us grace? Because God is a just God. And because God is a just God, every sin has to be punished. Every wrong has to be dealt with. For every, every crime that is committed, the punishment must be served out. Now, we see that in our world today with judges and the legal system and all of those things. We see these things uh, unfold for us. When a person commits a crime, there is a fine that has to be paid, or there is jail time that has to be paid. And depending on what the crime is, there is a punishment that fits that crime. And for true justice to be served, the, the crime must be paid for. The, 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 the punishment must be, uh, must be served. The sentence must be served. 
Now, God is a righteous and holy and just God. And we want God to be a righteous and holy and just God. He is perfect, and therefore he has to be. He cannot allow evil to go unpunished. If God did allow evil to go unpunished, he would not be a just judge. And so God has to punish evils that take place. He has to account for sin that has taken place. And it is only God who can redeem us from sin. It is not the devil who is going to redeem us for a ransom that has been paid. It is only God and God alone who can pay the price for our sin. Now, what God requires is, is, is for the just punishment to be served. Now, to understand this a little better, let's look at Psalm chapter 49. In Psalm chapter 49, now a little background, we'll start in verse 7, but, but, but before then, and, and the few verses before, uh, it's speaking about wealth and things that cannot redeem a person. We cannot redeem, be redeemed by silver and gold or anything like that. That is, we cannot pay the price of our sinfulness uh, on our credit cards, and, and it'll cover the cost. Okay, well, you sin this much, so if you pay $2 million, uh, you will be off the hook for your sin. That's not the way sin works. There is only one price that can be paid that will cover the cost of our sin. And in Psalm 49, 7, it says, Yet these, that is our, our wealth and things of the world, yet these cannot redeem a person or pay his ransom to God. So we see this language that God is requiring a ransom. A ransom, however, that cannot be paid by worldly wealth. But as the psalm continues in Psalm 49, verse 15, it says, but God will redeem, or in some translations it may say ransom, but God will redeem or ransom my life from the power of Sheol, that is death, for he will take me. So who does the psalmist recognize is going to redeem him or is going to ransom him? Well, it is God alone. God requires a ransom but it is God who will provide that ransom. And what does the ransom do? Well, the psalmist says the ransom delivers us from Sheol. It, it delivers us from death. Now, we see this very language mentioned for us in Romans chapter uh, 6, verse 23. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Okay, so we have this problem as human beings, right? And we've had this problem since Adam and Eve because when they were in the garden, God told Adam and Eve, eat from any tree except for this one tree. And if you eat it, you will die. And so here we are introduced to sin. The serpent came into the garden, that is Satan, the old devil. He came in and he tempted Adam and Eve to eat from the tree that God had instructed them not to eat from. And the moment we are disobedient to God, we are guilty of sin. It's not just an action we have to commit. It's not just uh, you know, a physical action. Oh, I punched somebody in the face. That's a bad thing. That's a sin. Nope. Our sin occurs 
The moment we are disobedient to God, when God commands us to a thing and we don't follow God's command, we become sinners. That's what happened to Adam and Eve. They were disobedient to God and they sinned. And in that instant, exactly what God said would occur took place. God said, if you eat of this tree that I'm telling you not to, you will die. And that's what Romans 6.23 says. For the wages of sin is death. So here's the problem. Here's what we are up against. It is the sin in our life. Because it is the sin that holds the power over us. Because it is the sin that leads us to death. Now this is the price that must be paid for our sin. Uh, if God is a just God, then the just price that must be paid for our sin must be death. Blood has to be shed because that is the penalty for sin, death. Now, that seems like a harsh penalty, but that shows us how serious our sin is. Now, Romans chapter 6, verse 6 says... For we know that our old self was crucified with him, that is Jesus, in order that sin's dominion over the body may be abolished, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Now, listen to that right there. When we come to Jesus Christ, he gives us, he gives us the ability to overcome sin. We are freed from sin. We are no longer enslaved to what? Enslaved to sin. You see, our problem is not the power that the devil holds over us, but our problem is the power, is the power that our sin holds over us. We are not enslaved to the devil. We are enslaved to our sin. Now, that's not to say that the devil doesn't play a part in our sinfulness. He is the great tempter. He tempts us with great sins and, and, and lures us away from God, and we give in to those temptations. But it's when we give in to that sin that we become enslaved. The devil has power over us in so much that he can tempt us to sin, and we follow those temptations. But what we are really enslaved to is sinfulness. And the wages of sin is death. That's why we are enslaved. 1 Corinthians 15, 56 says, Now the sting of death is sin. And so here is the problem. Here is the thing that we are up against. We are up against our sinfulness. We are enslaved to our sinfulness. And what is the price of ransom? What is the price of redeeming for our sinfulness? Well, it is death. That is the price. That is the penalty. And so if we are going to escape our penalty, death is the price that is required. Now, this is where Jesus as a ransom comes into play. Because what can pay our ransom to God to redeem us, as we saw in Psalm 49? Nothing can. Only God can provide that ransom. Only God can redeem us. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. It was God in the flesh. It was the very Son of God, the only one with the power to redeem us, is Jesus Christ. 
Now, I have heard others say before that there may have even been thousands of ways in which God could have redeemed us and brought us salvation. Well, I do not believe that to be the case. I do not believe that the Bible teaches that there could have been any other way than Jesus Christ. For one, if there was any other way for redemption other than the death of Christ on the cross, then man, God is a pretty cruel God to make Jesus suffer in such a way. I do not believe God is a cruel God. I believe Jesus died on the cross because that is the only way that we could have ever been forgiven of our sins. That's the only price that could have been paid. That's the only ransom that would have been suitable to God. A life had to have been given because the wages of sin is death. And so a perfect sacrifice, a perfect life must have been given to, to, to satisfy uh, the debt that was owed because the debt that's owed for our sinfulness is death. And it was either going to be our death or God said it was going to be Jesus' death. God could have just let us die in our sin. But instead, he came up with a better solution. He is a just God. He couldn't sweep sin under the rug, so he had to come up with another way. And his way was Jesus Christ, who gave his life as a ransom for many. A perfect and holy price that was paid. A life that was given to pay the price for our death. A life that died for us so that we wouldn't have to die and be separated from God for all of eternity. A life that freed us from sin and its consequences. That freed us from sin. We were enslaved, the Bible says, in multiple places, that we were enslaved to sin. So what God was freeing us from with Jesus' ransom was from our sin, not from the devil. Now, he freed us from the devil in that through Jesus' death and resurrection and his victory over sin and over death, uh, God gives us the victory over that. And we can also stand against the one who comes against us because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. But what we were enslaved to was sin. It was sin that led to our death. And it was sin that must be dealt with. And it was sin for which the ransom must be paid so that you and I could be forgiven. So why did a life have to be given? Well, the Bible tells us that, and we've really already discussed it. The, the penalty was death, and so uh, the only payment that, that could have sufficed for our death as a result of our sin was a death for blood to be shed. Blood had to be shed. It would either be ours or it would be from another. And in this case, the blood that was shed was from Jesus Christ. In Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, it says this. This is in the Old Testament law. Now, there's lots of crazy kind of things that we see in the Old Testament law, a lot of sacrifices, because that's what God had established. Uh, our sinfulness led to death, and therefore, death was the price. That is, blood must have been shed in place of our blood so that our sins could be atoned for. That is, another life would be taken in place of ours so that God would just strike us dead on the spot for our sinfulness. Now, in the Old Testament, God came up with the solution, and it was animal sacrifices. Now, that's kind of gnarly, but, but, but God came up with all of these different things, and he said, look, for this, this sin and for this situation, offer this sacrifice and that sacrifice. And, and the blood of those animals that were sacrificed and offered to the Lord was to atone for the people's sin. 
In Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, it says, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have appointed it to you to make atonement on the altar for your lives, since it is the lifeblood that makes atonement. And so all of these sacrifices were to atone for the sins of the people. Uh, we see a similar, uh, a similar thing uh, mentioned here uh, in Genesis chapter uh, 8, verses 20 and 21. We see this idea of offering sacrifice and atonement to the Lord, but there's something different that I want to point out to you when it comes to sacrifices and offerings uh, to the Lord that we see in the Old Testament. We know that this was part of, part of God's plan, part of God's law, part of how God atoned for people before Jesus Christ, but there's something that we need to see about these sacrifices. In Genesis chapter 6, verses 20 and 21, it says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. He took some of every kind of clean animal and every kind of clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, he said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of man, even though man's inclination is evil from youth, and I will never begin to strike down every living thing as I have done. Now, right in the middle of that passage that I just read, Noah had offered these offerings to the Lord, these burnt offerings, and it was a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Now, we see this language throughout the Old Testament with some of these offerings that are offered to the Lord. But when we look at these offerings and sacrifices that are pleasing to God in the Old Testament, we need to recognize who these offerings and sacrifices were made to. The offerings and sacrifices were made for the atonement of God's people. But when they sacrificed to the Lord, when atonement was made to the Lord, who was it made to? I just told you, it was to the Lord. In the Old Testament law, the people did not make sacrifices to appease Satan, to, to get Satan off their back, to gain freedom from Satan. The sacrifices that were given were given to God. And these sacrifices were pleasing to God. They fulfilled what God's law required. That is, the wages of sin were death. And death of these animals would cover the, uh, the sins of the people. It would bring them atonement, and it was pleasing to God. The sacrifices that were given in the Old Testament were given to God, not to the devil. Because we were not trying to be free from the devil. We were trying to be forgiven of our sins. As the scripture has said many times, we are enslaved to our sin. So does it not make sense to us that when there is a more perfect sacrifice and a ransom that is given for the atonement of sins in the New Testament in Jesus Christ, does it not make sense for us to say that that, that, that too was paid to God, that that sacrifice too was to God, that that atonement too was to God for the forgiveness of our sins. And we see similar language to the Old Testament offerings and sacrifices like we see in Genesis 8 in Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 and 2, which say, Therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children, and walk in love as the Messiah also loved us, 
and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Now, that's beautiful language. That the sacrifice of Jesus Christ was a pleasing and fragrant offering to God. When we read this passage in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, that says that Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many, the ransom was not to Satan, but the ransom was to God himself, because God was a just God, and he required a, 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 a sacrifice that would cover our death, a life for a life. Our life was going to end in death because of sin. But Jesus gave his life. He paid the price. He became our ransom so that our life could be spared. And so when Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many, that life was given to God to pay the cost of our redemption. And we are saved when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, I accept the sacrifice that you have given on my behalf. Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 25 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as a propitiation through faith in his blood, to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his restraint God passed over the sins previously committed. Now that's a good way to sum up really everything we've talked about today. We are sinners in need of a Savior, but we are justified freely, free to us, but at the cost of Jesus' life. We receive grace because of what Jesus did on the cross. Therefore, God gave Jesus, and Jesus gave his life as a propitiation, as one who took the place of our sin. He provided for us so that he could pass over our sin, so that he could free us from the sin that we were enslaved to. And when we see in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, that Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many, he gave his life to pay the cost of our sinfulness. He gave his life so that you and I could be forgiven. See, in this ransom situation, there were two winners. But the winners weren't God and Satan. There was no sacrifice paid to Satan. Jesus' death on the cross was no benefit to Satan. It was no win for Satan. It was, no, it was nothing for Satan. Jesus' death on the cross was destructive for Satan. It ruins Satan's plans and what little power that he may have thought he had, what power he had to tempt us to sin, to keep us separated from God. That power, uh, he, he no longer obtains that power because Jesus has freed us from sin. Jesus has given us the victory over death by his very own death and resurrection. So when Jesus gave his life for us as a ransom, there was no benefit for Satan. It spelled Satan's destruction. But when we talk about this ransom situation in our world, we see often that two people benefit. 
Well, in the case of Jesus' ransom, there were many beneficiaries. There was a winner. Now, God was always going to win. God was always going to be perfect. Even if Jesus had never died for us, God would always be victorious over Satan and over the devil. God was always going to win. But God did not just want to defeat the enemy. God did not just want to defeat sin. God wanted you and I. He wanted us to be with him, but he knew he could not overlook our sin, so he paid the price of our sin. Jesus paid the price of our sin by freely giving his life so that we could be forgiven. And so God wins over Satan. God wins over sin. And guess who else wins? We win because we are able to overcome sin. We are able to overcome death by the ransom of Jesus Christ that was paid for the many. And so when we say, well, why couldn't God have just given everybody grace? Because grace came at the cost of Jesus Christ. Because a life must have been given. Because death was the cost of our sinfulness. Therefore, death must have been given. Our sin cost our life. A life had to be given. And the only one capable and able to pay the price of our ransom was God himself. There was nothing of this world that was perfect enough to pay the price of our sinfulness. It was only God himself who could pay the price and pay the ransom for us. Therefore, God became flesh and dwelt among men. And Jesus Christ gave his life as a ransom for many so that we could be forgiven. So that we would have power over the temptations of Satan, but that so we would have victory over sin and over death. And that ransom that Jesus paid is still enough to cover your sins today. Now maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus, but I want to tell you today, there's nothing that can redeem you. There's no good qualities you have. There's no amount of wealth that you have. There are none of the things of this world who can redeem you for the price that is required. A life must be given to pay for your sins. And you must make the choice. Will it be your very own life? Or will it be the life of Jesus Christ? Because if it's the cost of our own life and our death occurs and we've never trusted God, then our death will separate us from God. Because our life can't pay the price. It's only the life of Jesus Christ that can pay the price. It will allow us to live in eternity with God. It will allow us to overcome our sin and overcome death. If you've never followed Jesus Christ or accepted his life that was given for you, I hope today you would do so. I hope that you would follow the example of Jesus Christ, that you would not live as one who is desiring to be served, but one who is desiring to serve and to give their life for all. Jesus gave his life for you, and Jesus wants us to give our lives to him and for him. But not just for him, but for all we encounter. What a powerful passage we see here toward the end of Mark 10. 
that God calls his disciples to. And guess what? He calls his disciples today to it too. That we would accept the ransom that was given on our behalf and that we would follow his example in service to him and in service to others. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning. I thank you for these good words. I pray that you would bless these words, God, and I pray that you would help us to turn to Jesus, to look to Jesus, God, to know that it is Jesus and Jesus alone who is the worthy and perfect and acceptable sacrifice, God, and it is pleasing to you, God, one who has given his life as a ransom for me. And God, I pray that everybody listening to this today has been covered by that ransom, that they would accept the price that Jesus has given. But God, that price uh, is, only, is only free to us when we put our faith in Jesus. So God, I pray that if there is one who has never put their faith in Jesus, God, that today they would know, God, that you have redeemed them from the power of sin and death through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And God, I pray that they would hear that truth and know that truth and put their faith in Jesus Christ today. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's service. To learn more about Jesus, call or text Pastor Shan at 601-657-0180 or email him at shanvnme.com. You can also visit us at www.enterprisebaptist.church or follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ebcliberty. We hope that you have been blessed by today's service.